If you have your Bibles, can you turn to Galatians chapter 6? We're going to be looking at verses 1 and 2. Father, as we get into your word and we come before you this morning, I ask that you would be merciful to us, working in us, forming in us Christ, dealing with our sin, dealing with ourself, dealing with our pride, dealing with all the stuff that goes on in our lives. I pray, O oh Lord, that you would truly work and minister to us now. That you would richly bless us and work through your word, for we ask it in Christ. Amen. Just imagine for a moment I took a person and I placed them in front of you. In fact, I didn't take the person. God took the person took the person and placed them in front of you and said, this person, I want you to make this person feel and experience love. That's it. That's all I want you to do. That's your primary goal. That's your mission, all right? Okay, this person who's in front of you right now, I want you to have them experience love from you. Now, if God said that, what would you do? Would you think, um, let me give you a hug? Would you, would you think, uh, try to find a compliment? What would you do? I mean, you would, if your mind started going along these lines, you might feel the pressure, you might, you, you might sense a, 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 an inability to really know how to express yourself, you might feel lost, or whatever. But I'll guarantee you one thing your mind would be actively engaged doing the very thing that God would want us to do with the people in front of us on a continual basis. God has called us to love. And so often it doesn't happen because our heads are caught off in something else, isn't it? Every one of us have so many things that can derail us. It should occupy our, day on, our minds on a day-to-day basis, but it doesn't because every day you and I wake up and we face a day, right? I face a day full of all kinds of people, circumstances, temptations, burdens, struggles, frustrations, joys, pleasures, and delights. And every single one of these things take our attention away, usually from our primary callings, and put them onto other things, and we get derailed. It's so easy to get derailed. So instead of going to work to worship God, support our families, and serve those we work for and with, we go to build our careers, our reputations, our status within the company, or maybe go to get away from the ones we're called to love. Whatever the case. It's so easy to go in one way and and within 10 minutes be derailed and be doing something the exact opposite of what we should be doing. What so often gets me derailed from the main things are thoughts of productivity, how to get everything done, checking on emails, what to do with the bills, what to do with my roof, the kids schooling, their discipline, the care of my wife, church ministries, people in the church, my own personal enhancement, just to name a few. And every one of your lives is is complicated. And every one of your lives has so many things that can derail you from what it is you're called to do. All this stuff calls out. 
But you know, we're called primarily to something simple. God says, I want you to love me, and I want you to love others. I want you to love the person six inches in front of you. I want, to love, I want you to love those people in front of you. That's what I'm calling you to do. Well, that's simple, isn't it? Yeah, but we have a problem, and the problem is me. My selfish desires and wants get in the way. I so often get focused on me. But the good part is we come here, we go into his word, we get together, and we're so often reminded, and we need the reminders constantly, constantly to fix our eyes on Jesus, fix our eyes on God, fix our eyes on one another and how it is we might love one another as we've been loved We constantly need the encouragement. We constantly need to remember. And I need the Lord. I cry out to the Lord. And the more I hear it, the more it ends in my ears, the more I should be burdened by the Lord to do what I don't do. The more I should be exposed and convicted so that I would repent. I would confess my sins, both to God and others, and I would turn in repentance. And in that process, I'm growing. I'm changing. I'm being formed into the image of Christ, who Christ did nothing. He said nothing. Nothing he did was apart from the Father's will. He did everything, didn't he? Everything to love God and love others. That was his mission in life, and he calls us into that mission. But for you and me, we daily struggle against our flesh. We daily struggle to keep our attention fixed on the things that really matter. And we so desperately need to come back and be reminded and be spurred on and to be encouraged and to be built up in this faith where we we fix our eyes and our thoughts on the Lord and on others and get them off ourselves. You know, so far what we've looked at in this particular series, the one another commands, are actual expressions of how it is we do this loving so when I said at the beginning, God sets them in front of you, and what are you going to do? Well, we looked at, we looked at several things already in, in ways, in practical ways, we're to love one another. We're to greet one another. Start off right where we should start off, with greeting. So we greet one another with cheer, with gladness, in a way that builds them up and encourages them. Not only that, we talked about our conversation and talked about building them up. We build them up with our words. We encourage them. We spur them on to love and good deeds. We talked last week about the gentle words of admonition. Speaking the truth and love toward one another. Spurring one another on towards doing what is right. Correcting and warning it in a very gentle way. And this morning we're going to look at bearing one another's burdens. Another practical way in which we are to love one another. If you look at Galatians chapter 6 verse 2. It says this. Bear one another's burdens. And so fulfill the law of Christ. That's simple. Bear one another's burdens. And when you bear one another's burdens, you'll be fulfilling the law of Christ. Now the question is, what does it mean to bear one another's burdens? That needs to get fleshed out, right? Well, it means, first of all, that we make others' burdens our burdens. In the context of Galatians 6, 2, this is written... To, to, to these Christians who have a fellow Christian, or just he's saying hypothetically, if someone is caught in sin, then he who is spiritual is supposed to go and help him. Read what it says. Chapter, Galatians 6, verse 1 says, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, 
lest you too be tempted. So the reason for helping, the reason for helping, the reason for carrying the burden of, your, of the others is, is, is stated in verse 2. The reason why you should do this, the reason why you should go after them, the reason why you should help them is stated in verse 2. Where he says, we're to carry one another's burdens. This is what he states as the reason. And so fulfill the law of Christ. Sin is a great burden. And in this particular passage, I'd like us to observe a couple things. And first of all, notice that this says, says in verse 2, or sorry, verse 1, that if anyone, if anyone is caught in any transgression, this person is caught. I want us to understand this word caught. Caught in a transgression. Caught in sin. This is a person who didn't just stumble, lightly stumble, then quickly confess and then repent. This person is ensnared, caught. They are transgressing against God, and they do want out, but they don't know how to get out, and they feel the grip of darkness around them. This is what it's, this is what it's like whenever you get ensnared and caught in sin. You can feel the darkness. You can feel the, the draw, the pull. There's pleasure in sin for a season. The thing about sin is it's so downright selfish. It's delightful for me, but it always hurts other people. It's pleasurable for me to do it, but it's going to cost me someone else. And this is the nature of sin. It has that pleasure about it, but just for me. And so there's dark sins and snaring sins, sins that get you caught. Sexual sins are of this nature. So is deep lusting and coveting of the heart after certain possessions. They catch you and then they snare you. So is hatred towards someone who's wronged you. It can catch you, it can ensnare you, and you feel like you can't get away from the hatred. And so are lies. When you get ensnared in them. Sometimes you start spinning a web of lies and you know to get out is going to cost you dearly. You're ensnared by the lies. So many things that we do ensnare us and entrap us and then when they do we feel the darkness of that sin and, it, it's, and, and, we, and we want to get out. We so, we so want to be free and it's like we don't know how. We don't know the way. We're trapped. Have you ever you ever looked at a or seen a bird caught in a snare or in a net and watch it flailing for its life? You know that bird desperately wants to get free. And it can't. If it's ever to get free, it needs help. Or if you've ever seen a rabbit caught by a snare, it's going crazy, almost busting its leg off trying to get out. But it's ensnared. It's caught. It can't get out. The only way to get out is with help. Someone has to come to their aid. And you know what? If we saw a bird or if we saw a rabbit ensnared and we watched them flailing for their lives and we see them in trouble, most of us, unless you, you know, a sociopath probably wouldn't. A sociopath might think that's kind of great and funny. But most of us, our heart would, heart would break and we look at that and say, man, you'd want to help. You'd want to step in and, 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 and somehow rescue this thing to set it free. And this is the whole idea. When you see a brother caught, it says, in a transgression, you, you, you who are spiritual, restore such a one. Have compassion in a spirit of gentleness, 
step in and seek to help them from the snare. But you know what needs to happen? For this to happen, their burden has to become our burden. You have to feel it. You can't just... You can't just see it and be unmoved by it. You have to see it and see them caught, see them ensnared. And that's got to, at some level, stir you. Because you've got to have this kind of compassion, the spirit of gentleness, so that you could step up with the, in compassion and help them out of it. And you will not have compassion if you think that that person is nothing but a simple idiot for doing what they've done. We truly, folks, we have got to see them as falling under the power of Satan and truly ensnared in a situation that could cost them their lives. Now, if we understand the situation properly, we understand the ensnarement of sin, we should be able to relate and know that there's temptation, there's a delicious delight, there's always something delightful about sin, and we take it and we eat it, and when we eat it, we come under this condemnation and this guilt and this shame, and we get ensnared, and we need help. We should see people in sin, and as we see them, almost see ourselves and how easy it would be for us to be them. But the moment we look at them and we think they're idiots, or we look down their nose at them, or we can't believe it, or they're just so stupid for doing what they're doing, man, are they ever morons, they keep doing this. We're failing to understand the power of sin, the power of the enemy, and the power of our own flesh. We fail to understand ourselves. And I wouldn't be surprised if that's truly in our heart that God will not quickly allow you to find yourself in a similar situation where you're groveling now, where you're looking for help. Because when when a brother or a sister is ensnared in sin, it isn't because they're just an idiot and you're so amazing. It's because sin has power and they have to deal with their flesh and the enemy is crafty. So crafty. So if we're going to Bear one another's burdens in the sense in which this passage is talking about. We have to begin to see that when people are struggling, when people are in situations where they're caught or ensnared by sins, this is not light, this is not trite, this is not fool, just pure, purely foolish on their part. This is something, this is a desperate need they have of being released. They need help. They can't make it on their own. They can't do it on their own. Now, obviously, the one who's fallen is in a danger all his own. But what also is interesting is that the one who's going to help is warned here in this passage. I find that fascinating. Is warned. But if anyone is caught in any transgression, verse 1, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. What does it go on to say? Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Keep watch on yourself. The warning is given to those who hadn't fallen. The warning isn't, in this particular passage isn't given to the one who's fallen, who's already in grave danger. The warning is given to the person who's going to go out and seek to help them. Just think of a fallen soldier in battle. I'm sure most of you have seen a war movie, right? And they're on the battlefield, and a soldier falls. And you know that if a man is to go, to go out there and rescue his comrade... And he's to get him. He's going to put himself in grave danger. It's a serious thing. Because he's dropping his gun, going to grab his fellow man, going to put him over his shoulder, and he's going to try to get him back to the medic's tent. He's going to, he's going to put his life in danger. Why? Because he has to get so close to the action. He has, he could, he has the danger of getting whacked himself. 
He puts himself in a vulnerable position because he gets up close to the person, puts him over his shoulder, and risks his life to walk, walk out to the medic's tent. Now that imagery and that sight is exactly how we should see people in this world. I tell you folks, we're in a battle. You're in a battle. And I know you know this. You battle against sin. You battle against temptation. You battle against troubles, you, trials, and, and, and you battle against doubt. You battle against fear and anxieties and all kinds of things in this world. You face these troubles. And sometimes you take hits and fall down. And what you need at that moment is you need someone who's willing to bear the burden to come out in the middle of the battle and get you. So if you're going to help them, you know what this means? It means you have to get close to them and take on part of the struggle. You have to bear their burden. Recently I watched this video online of this guy who rescued this deer. It was a big-sized buck that was all ensnared in this rope. It was all in its antlers, and it was attached to the ground. And, and this buck was just going crazy trying to get out. And so this guy felt compassion for him, and he wanted to get up, go up and free him. But he had to be incredibly careful, cautious, and meticulous as how he did this, because he's putting himself at risk even trying to save this deer. If he got nailed by those antlers as he's in there trying to cut them, they, they could go right through his head. It was a, it was a dangerous situation, or the, the, the buck could have hooved him pretty easily. But he got in there, and he was willing to take the risk, patiently and carefully and gently remove this rope bit by bit, cut, cut off this rope, and eventually the, the buck got free and went loose. Now, I think this is just a wonderful example of what it's like to get next to somebody, bear their burden, and help them in times of need. And there's a warning here about getting close, because when you get close, you see, helping somebody isn't, you just don't, when you bear their burden, when you get in to help them, you don't just say from a distance, preach at them, hey, stop it! You idiot! You don't yell from the sidelines. But, you know, that's funny because we, we actually, that's what we do. We have a tendency to do that, don't we? Yell from the sidelines. Just tell them that here's, here's three steps to getting out. You ready? One, two, three. Go do it and report to me in the morning. It's not understanding the nature of the battle we're in. It's not understanding the nature of the entanglement. When someone's ensnared in sin, they need someone to get in beside them, bear the burden, and walk off the battlefield with them. That's why there's a warning here. That's why he's saying when you bear one another's burdens, you, you, know, you who are spiritual restore such a one. And why is that? Well, the spiritual one is one who's going to have the love of Christ filling their hearts and walking in the, in the power of the Spirit, knowing that they can't, but God can't, can, and they're willing to walk with this person and walk them out of it. This is what it means to bear one another's burdens. It means making phone calls late at night, listening for a long time, holding them accountable, walking them through repentance, Bearing the burden. And you know what that means? It's not easy, it's not light, and it's not for the faint-hearted. It's for those who are spiritual. 
Sometimes we think of restoring people or helping people in their sins, this glorious job where you get in there and you say, let me tell you what you need to do. Got pen and paper. I'll tell you. And you get it done, all right? You come back in the morning, you tell me how it all went. And we think that that's how it works. That's failing to completely understand the nature of sin, the nature of repentance, and the nature of walking somebody out of a situation that they're in. If it was that easy, there would be no need to warn. There would no need to be to say those who are spiritual restore such a one. There would be no need to say bear one another's burdens. You're not bearing anything. The fact of the matter is, when we, if we are to love one another and we're to bear one another's burdens, we have to get in the trenches with them, and it's, there's heavy lifting involved. And so you have to be spiritual to get in there and do it. Otherwise, you're going to probably end up stumbling and falling and you're going to end up and sin yourself through the process. And so, bearing one another's burdens, this is what we are called to do. And not just actually in sin, it's in all areas of life, because life is filled with struggle. Sharing burdens, life is a burden in so many ways. I think John MacArthur put it well in a blog post where he said, the most committed believer will testify that earthly trials sometimes obscure the heavenly perspective. We worry, we grieve, we stumble, we strain under the toil of our daily labors. We feel the guilt of our fallen condition. Meanwhile, we're assaulted with adversities of various kinds, and those are just a few of the many worldly burdens that frequently keep our thoughts from rising to heaven. And yet we're commanded repeatedly to seek things which are above, Colossians 3.1. We are instructed to look not to the things that are seen, but the things that are unseen, 2 Corinthians 4.18. We must not allow the burden of this life to divert our hearts from heaven, but how is that possible, he asks. When the load weighs us down and the troubles become too much for one person to bear, pie-in-the-sky sentiments can sound very hollow. But that is precisely why the church is so important. It's our duty as believers to help bear one another's burdens. When someone staggers, we help steady the load. If he's straining, we help bear the burden. If he stumbles, we lift him up. Helping fellow believers carry the weight of their worldly troubles is one of the chief practical duties that ought to consume every Christian. End quote. We can't make it on our own. We can't. We need each other. And this is why we must make others' burdens our burdens. This is love. It's love to get into the yoke with them and say, let me go with you. Let me walk with you. On the other side, however, this isn't going to happen unless we let people into our problems. There's something to this. Bearing one another's burdens requires something. This text says that we're to bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. But this implies something, doesn't it? It implies letting people into our world so that they can even see the burdens. If you can't see a burden, if you don't know about a burden, if you don't know the burden, there's no burden to help with. We have to let people know what our burdens are, what our problems are. Opening up and sharing what is going on in our lives is essential if this bearing of each other's burdens is ever going to happen. 
But so often, and more often than not, what do we do? We don't want to burden others. Have you ever heard people say that? I don't want to burden you. I don't want to burden others. I don't want to burden people. So we keep everything private. We don't let anyone know that what we struggle with, what we're having a problem with, what we're doubting, what has us ensnared. Oh, never mind. We just think we'll pray about it. And we think that if we pray about it, it'll, it'll, it'll just go away. Boy, oh boy, are we so easily deceived. And that is, that's a trick from the evil one. Just pray about it. That's all you need to do. Just pray about it. Okay. But God has not made us to carry our burdens alone. He's not made us to be totally independent. He made us creatures who are dependent on one another. He made us needy for one another. Now, of course, Jesus did say, didn't he, in Matthew 11, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Direct quote, right? Yet, the question I have for you is this. How does Jesus supply that? What are the means by which this takes place? And I want to say to you that we have to read all of Scripture and understand how does Jesus minister to his people? Through his body, the church. The church and the members of it, each members individually, make up a body. Whose body? This is the body of Jesus. Who is the head? And he, this is how Jesus ministers. He ministers through his body. So, it's true. Jesus is the one that we go to, clearly. People say this. They're not wrong in saying this. Take it to the Lord. Go to Jesus with it. Absolutely true. The very first thing you should do is you should go to the throne of grace. You should get on your knees and you should cry out and lift and bring your burden and your struggle or whatever to the Lord. But then you should get up off your knees and you know what you should expect? You should expect to go from there and how Jesus hears you and answers you will be through his body, the church. You should then go up, get up, go towards your brother or your sister and share your burden with them and expect that this is the means by which Jesus will minister. That's how he does it. You might be on an island somewhere unable to get access to any of the body of Christ and I could very well see at that moment Jesus doing something other than the ordinary means of going through his body. But typically, so many people struggle. You know why they struggle? You know why they never get over it? You know why they never make progress? You know why they never go forward? You want to know why? Because they live private, individual lives, and they never share their burdens, and they just keep praying about it. And why do they never change? I don't know why things don't change. I just keep praying about it. God, are you there? Do you listen to me? Do you hear me? I keep praying, and you're not listening. Because think of our expectation. We think that we'll pray to him, and then he will do... We have a Shazam theology. That he shazams apart from the body of Christ. But no, the whole reason he says he gave the body of Christ is so that each member would build up one another into, Christ, into the image of Christ. That's the purpose of the body. This is where the Spirit was poured out upon the church, and the church members minister to one another, and as they do, the Spirit, who is the Spirit of Christ, is ministering to each other, and we're being built up into Christ. It's the means by which you grow. Do you want to make progress? Do you want to grow? 
Well, then you've got to start letting people into your lives and allow them to see your struggles, allow them to see your burdens, allow them to see what's going on, you're, where perhaps even you're ensnared or caught. You have to let them in because if there's no letting in, if you shield people off and they ask you how you're doing, great. How are you doing? Great. We're all doing great. Well, let's just go on then. And this is the lives, these are the lives we live. These are the lies we tell. It's not always great. Folks, we're in a war zone. We're embattled. We're fighting constantly against our flesh, against sin and the devil and the world, and we're bombarded on every side, and you can't make it alone. I'll guarantee it. If you think you can, you're probably already half done. We need each other desperately. We have to let people into our problems. You know what? Here's something else I want to say about this. When I say let them into your problems, I don't simply mean telling them about your problems, but opening yourself up for input. Now, there's a little difference here. Many of us will easily share, let's share the problem with someone, but how few of us actually ask, what would you suggest? Or could you help me? And those are two fundamentally different things. I can't tell you how many times I personally have missed the help or encouragement or blessing from another brother because I failed to put it into their court in an appropriate way. By just sharing, some, most people are kind enough and they just sit there and they listen and they listen and they listen and they say, I'll pray for you. But I missed out on some really valuable help, and really valuable input by not saying, what do you think I should do? It's, it's, it's necessary to turn that corner. Into, because what you're doing is you're allowing people in, right? You allow them in by, by saying, what do you think I should do? How, how, how could you help me? That changes everything. And you know what happens? That's really sharing your burden because now all of a sudden the person will take absolute ownership of that. They won't just, hopefully, and if you're asking the right people in, they're just not going to lay out the advice and then scatter, but they're actually going to follow up. They're going to pray. They're going to they're be concerned. They're, they're going to want to step into it with you. You invited me in. You made yourself humble, and you were vulnerable, and you invited me in, and you asked for help, and, and, and that person now wants to step in and give you all the help they can. But if you don't ever allow people into that, to that level, and you just share, that's it, and you kind of, you force sometimes people just merely to listen and say, okay, I'll pray. Because we don't want to step in when we're not invited. We don't want to go into someone's life when they, they don't want us there at all. That's not what we do. We don't go barging into one another's life. Dean said, bear another's burden, so tell me your dirty secrets right now, and I'll get in there with you. you know, no, we don't say, hey, hey listen, you, you, need to talk, you, you need to open up to me right now. This is commanded in Scripture. You, know, you don't do any of that stuff, because that, that right there is just going to ruin and destroy trust and love and the relationship altogether. We have a responsibility to open ourselves up and present our problems to those people we trust and love and, and then ask the right question to allow them in. So there's kind of a two-way street here. We're not going to be sharing one another's burdens if we all are all closed off and are not allowing people in to, to even to know our burdens or struggles. 
And obviously there's wisdom in who we tell. Go back to Galatians 6 again. You who are spiritual, restore such a one. You should go to those people who you know are spiritual, who you know are going to walk with you in gentleness and humility and are going to actually get into get in the yoke with you. Not someone who's going to hand lob grenade advice. So we need to learn to let people into our problems, into our struggles, into our burdens. Otherwise, this sharing of burdens is never going to happen. But lastly, I want to exhort you to, to get off the sidelines and never just, never find yourself, I hope, never find yourself here just simply watching others struggle. If someone in the congregation is struggling with their finances or with their marriage or with their extended family or with their children or with their work or with, or, or with their whatever, we can't simply stand back and watch and just pray. We need to take it personally. We need to, we need to observe and watch and, 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 and say, Lord, how can I help? And we, should, we, we, have, to have, the, we have to have the heart of a burden bearer and a burden bearer is someone who, who actually gets and understands the struggle and feels for others in their struggle. Now, obviously, this goes back to what I just finished saying. When you're watching others struggle, you just don't stand back and watch them struggle. But at the same time, if that person, you go up to try to comfort or you go up to come alongside and they, they push you away, well... You, you do need to step back, and you do need to just pray. And it's very easy just to always just gently come up beside people and say, how are you doing? How can I pray? These are questions that allows people, gives them at least an opportunity. You just have to give people an opportunity. Don't allow them. Some people don't want you around, and they push you away. They say, get away from me. But don't just say, okay, I'll never have anything to do with you again. Keep coming forward and say, hey, how are you doing? How can I pray for you? Keep gently, gently come toward them and let them know that, that you're trustworthy, that you're someone that they can share their burden with. You're actually somebody who wants to take it, take it with them and say, let's do this together. You know, I just want to offer a word of warning here too as we, we certainly we do not want to step back and just watch people struggle. We want to get engaged but we have to change some, something of our mentality as well. When we do step in, we just don't want to uh, think that what's the problem and how do I solve it? Because that, you notice in the text, he's not talking about uh, solving problems. He's talking about bearing burdens, getting in there with them. And I think it's very easy to have pat answers. It's very easy to give people formulas. It's very easy to tell, to preach at people, isn't it? Well, that's, a, that's how I wish it was. That was that easy. Just tell them and it's fixed. Because, you know, so often what, what we need is we don't need to tell me um, and just preach at me. I need, you to, I need you to come alongside of me. And sometimes the most powerful thing that could ever happen is you just get beside somebody, you put your arm around them, and you, 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 by saying nothing, say, I'm with you in this. And you might not have, you just listen and you pray with them. Say, that's, all, that's to say all you did. That's to say that was the, 
you know, you didn't know what to do. You were kind of just trying to get next to them and see if you could bear their burden. I tell you what, in that moment, you shared their burden with them. You made the load lighter, just knowing you're beside me, just knowing you're with me, and you're just, and you're there. That right there is sometimes, that is just all by itself better than anything we could say. But the moment we get into fixing problems, problem fix mode, and us guys, hey fellas, this is us. Bad, isn't it? That's, problem fixer is not the same as burden bearer. It's not the same thing. We like to fix it and let's get on with things. We don't like to bear the burden, get down beside, and, and have the slow plod walk. You know, when somebody's wounded, you know, you don't make, you, you might want to run, but we're, you're not going to, because they're dragging a leg. They're dragging the leg, and you, what it means, you've got to walk slowly with them. You've got to walk with them. And so you've got to get beside them, and you've got to get in there with them, and know, and this is the other thing, none of us have ever changed in our lives because someone just told us once, if you have, just let me know, and you'd be a miracle person. If you look at the change in your life and the growth and the maturity, what does it take in your life? Man, it usually takes 100 sermons, um, a lot of conviction, a lot of falling down, a lot of banging your forehead, a lot of, a lot of inches. Doesn't it? A lot of inches. It's progress in our lives. It would be so nice. I... Believe me, I'd love to get up here. I'd love to just preach a sermon and just know, oh, preached it. The word was declared. Every single one of you guys, you're going to go out there and bear every one another's burdens perfectly. And it's, we're just rolling on to the next sermon. And here we go. Yeah, right. Nice one. If you've been a parent and you've watched how your child grows, you know that's hogwash. It's a game of inches. And you just plod along. And you know you're going to have to tell them 400 more times. And you know that you're, they're going to have to get some more discipline. You know that you're going to have to hold them accountable. You know it's wearisome, it's difficult, it's hard. And that's the cool thing about being a parent, the way God's designed it. He puts you in there, and now you carry their burden of their childishness and their foolishness, and you carry it with them, and you've got to walk, and you've got to plod, and you've got to be faithful. But at the end of the day, you start seeing good signs, and so they get older, and you start to see them mature, and you say, wow. Wow, God, you're so good. Look at what you've begun to do. But I'll tell you what, you watch a parent that abdicates, that watches from the sidelines, that steps back, that just is going to watch or go to work, come home and watch the family. He's going to watch his family tank it. Because that's not how it's done. You've got to bear one another's burdens. You've got to get in there, folks. You got to get off the sidelines. You got to get involved in people's lives. You got to sweat. You got to toil. You got to go at risk. You, you, got, you got to struggle. You got to step with them. You got to struggle with them. You got to walk through this, this, this battlefield with landmines all over the place. And as you do, inch by inch, you make progress. And at the end of the day, you can look back and say, oh man, look how far we've come. Look at where we're at. I can begin to see the sunshine. Glorious. But I tell you, we live in the age of the instant, don't we? Wouldn't you like to drive up to McDonald's and ask for sanctification? Pay 250 and be on your way? That's the world we live in. 
Can I put it in the microwave somehow? Why does this take so long? Why is the process? Folks, we're in a battle. We're in a struggle. And the way God has designed it is we're very needy creatures and we grow by inches. And it's, it's, a, it's a process. And, and you never think for a moment that anyone here is instantly going to change. Like Zamo, you just tell them the secret formula, boom, you have it changed. That's sometimes the worst. You ever read a book? You read a book and you think they tell you how to do this, how to do that, and you get it in your head and you're like, oh man, I'm so excited to go and try it. I got it nailed. I got it, I got it figured out. And then first step, you go to do it, bam. What? You go back and read the book? Like, what? What happened? This is way harder than I thought. It's like there's all these little things that I don't know and understand. Man, what's going on here? And then you struggle, and a lot of times that's when you want to quit. Right there, I want to quit. I didn't think it was going to be so hard. I didn't, think it's like, man, this, I didn't, I didn't sign up for this. I read the book. It seemed so easy. No, it's part, see, this is part of our problem. It's understanding the problem wrongly and understanding the solution wrongly. It's not... It, It's not a game where we come in, we hear what we need to do, and we instantly change. No, it's a long, slow process that we have to get involved in. And nobody, if you sit on the sidelines, and you sit, and you just watch, and you just observe, and you don't ever get involved with people in their lives, oh, that's too messy, that's too hard, that's too difficult. Well, that's like looking out on the battlefield with your gun over your shoulder, and all the armies out in front of you, and you're like, go get them, boys. And they're out there risking their lives. And there's people who who are putting their guns over their shoulder and heading into the thick of it and grabbing wounded soldiers and picking them up, putting them on their shoulders and carrying them back. And what we're saying is get involved. This is warfare. And we fight and we battle until the day we die and we need one another desperately. And we will win as long as we do fulfill the law of Christ and bear one another's burdens. Amen. Father, We're so thankful that we have, so thankful that we have this body, the church, your spirit that you poured out in our hearts. We're so thankful that we have one another to minister to each other. And I know I could not make it, O Lord. I would not have made it this far, not even close, without my brothers and sisters. I'm so thankful that you've given them to me, and I'm thankful that they have one another. I'm thankful that they have your spirit. I'm thankful that they have the forgiveness and the love of the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, Lord, I ask that you would make us a people who really get and understand the nature of the battle, the nature of the struggle, that our hearts would break for one another, and we would look out for one another, and we would gladly bear one another's burdens, and we would get into the midst of the battle with each other, and fight together, and walk together, and struggle together. Oh, Lord God, have mercy on us, and may we take one another's burdens upon ourselves, just as you, Lord Jesus, took all of our burden upon yourself, the burden of our guilt and our shame and our sin, and made us righteous and holy in your sight. In your name we pray. Amen.